As a mom, I love reading to my kids. I've always been a big reader. And when I started having kids, one of my favorite things to do with them was to read to them. And it wasn't honestly until a couple of years ago that I really began to think about the fact that it's not hard for me to find books where my kids can see themselves in the story. Whether it is a child who looks like them, acts like them, or lives like them, it's not hard. And I began to take that for granted. And so I really wanted to start incorporating more diverse literature into our bookshelves and making sure that I'm reading my kids' stories of children from different cultures and stories from around the world. And my guest today also saw this as something that she really wanted to take on and has done an incredible job growing a company dedicated to this very idea. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Silaja Joshi, the founder and CEO of Mango and Marigold Press. Mango and Marigold Press is an award-winning independent publishing house that shares the sweet and savory stories of the South Asian experience. Founded in 2014, the company has produced 13 books across four different product categories and been featured on the Today Show, US Weekly, People Magazine, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and so much more. The company's books have received several awards, including the Purple Dragon and IPNE. In 2019, the company unveiled its 1001 Diverse Books Initiative. With this program, Silaja has committed to raising the funds to donate 1001 new diverse books to literacy nonprofits, bridging the accessibility gap within the children's literature. Community members can sponsor books for just $10 and through this program, ensure that every child has access to high quality, diverse kids lit. The company's mission has expanded to not only bridging the diversity gap in children's literature, but also improving the accessibility of diverse children's lit in underserved communities. I loved this conversation with Silaja. She is such a brilliant, brilliant leader, and her books are absolutely incredible, and I love the passion that she brings to it. You are going to love this conversation, but before I get to my conversation with Silaja, I just want to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. Now, how much time do you spend reading your labels? A lot, right? Mama Suds would like to help you take the stress of research out of your life with their truly safe, non-toxic household cleaning collection. They have everything you need to keep your family and your home clean and safe. Now, if you've been following me for a while, you know I love Mama Suds products. I love their household cleaner and their laundry soap. And the best part is they use plants and minerals to make their products, nothing synthetic. The head mama at Mama Suds is Michelle Smith, and she has spent a crazy amount of time tracking down exceptional ingredients. So they are not only safe for you and your family, but sustainable for the planet. Mama Suds wants to inspire you to live a smart, healthy, and sustainable life that brings you joy and peace of mind. You can try out their products at mamasuds.com and use the code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Okay, now on to my conversation with Silaja. 
Silaja, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here um, and cannot wait for our conversation, Molly. I know, me too. I, you know, as a mom who loves to read, I am a, I was actually an English major in college, former English teacher, avid reader, and I am so passionate about reading to my kids. And to know the work that you're doing to bring diversity and equity and inclusion into the children's literature and and the children's book space is so exciting. So I want you to just give us the Silage 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I I love that. The Silage 101. I love it. I'm going to start using that. Yeah, you should. So (laughs) you could totally steal it. (laughs) I love it. I will. Um, I'm Silage Joshi. I'm the CEO and founder of Mango and Marigold Press. We are an award-winning independent publishing house that shares the sweet and savory stories of the South Asian experience. Over the course of the past six years, we've produced over 20 titles, won several major industry awards, been featured on lots of different national news outlets, international news outlets, everywhere and at anywhere, and also helped to bridge the accessibility gap in children's literature by distributing books through our 1001 Diverse Books campaign. I think to date, we've distributed over 2,000 books to in deserving, in-need communities across the country. I am a mom to two tiny people who are <laughs> wonderful and hopefully outside. Um, I am a wife to a very patient husband. I am an avid reader myself, a passionate runner, and really excited about disrupting the publishing space and really excited about helping to bridge the accessibility gap in children's literature and beyond. And I also have a full-time job and I really like soft serve ice cream. Oh, I like it. Do you have a particular favorite flavor of soft serve? (laughs) Okay, I actually really like the chocolate vanilla swirl with chocolate sprinkles on top in ideally a waffle cone situation. If a waffle cone isn't available to me, a sugar cone will be fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I also really like it when it's like that hard shell dip situation, like they they dip it in that chocolate situation. And then it's hard, that magic shell thing. I think that's what it's called. I love that. Yes. How do you feel about a waffle cone dipped in the hard shell chocolate with sprinkles? I love, oh, a chocolate dipped waffle cone is one of my favorite things. It's like heaven on earth. <laughs> yeah, hundred uh, percent. I love it. Well, obviously, we are talking about very important things here with soft serve ice cream. But uh, I'm, you know, like I said at the beginning, I'm really just so impressed with the work that you have done with Mango and Marigold. Take me back a little bit. Take me back to being a child growing up and because I know that that kind of your story of founding Mango and Marigold kind of came out of your own personal experience. So can you kind of share a little bit about that and, and how that influenced what you're doing? Yeah. So the idea started um, really in my first pregnancy with my daughter, Ojo, who's now seven. I am a voracious reader. Um, 
like just was always had a book attached to me. My husband is a professor. And so this was at the time that it was like very chic to have these library themed baby showers. Yeah. And I was here for it. I was like real excited. So I remember my husband's aunt threw us this beautiful library themed baby shower. And I was putting books on my registry because I, you know, I didn't want doubles. And I have a background in sociology and education. And I knew it was really important for my children to see themselves. And so I was looking for books that represented my culture, my history, my heritage. And what I found was really disappointing. You know, some of them were developmentally inappropriate. They were culturally inaccurate. They were culturally insensitive. And I just couldn't believe I lived in a world where a country with one point some odd billion people didn't have representation in this space. Like, frankly, I just sat with it for a little while. I gave birth. I then two weeks later started a PhD program. And I remember being in the car with a classmate saying, like, just complaining, just being like, I can't believe this is the state of the world, that my daughter is not going to see herself on the cover of a book. And she turned to me and she's like, so why don't you do something about it? And that was it. Like, nobody gives me a challenge without me. Like, um, I I heard those words and I was like, yeah, why aren't I doing something about it? Like, why am I in this PhD program? What am I doing? And so I have no background in publishing. I certainly have an entrepreneurial spirit. I'm a sociologist. I worked a lot in with interfaith communities, but I knew nothing about publishing. So I asked a couple of mom friends about who had experienced some children's books. I started to get smart. I then applied to a prototype fund that I had. My alma mater is Northeastern University and they had this like sort of startup incubator for entrepreneurs. I applied and got $1,000 of seed capital and that was it. I I left my PhD program. I hired our first illustrator, Tim Palin, got the manuscript for our first book, Hanuman and the Orange Sun written. And within six months, then got um, illustrations turned out that got us our first round of angel investment that turned into a Kickstarter campaign that launched our book, Hanuman and the Orange Sun. And then after that, I was addicted. Wow. I was just really, really committed to sharing and telling these stories. And over the course of our time, our vision, the way our stories are crafted, has really shifted and changed to reflect what the needs of the community are. Yeah. But at its heart, I am here to tell the stories that have been untold, have been told they don't deserve space. Mm. I'm here to tell them. And it's been wonderful. That is such a cool story. And I love that you just, your friend was just like, well, you should do something about it. And I love people like you. They, just people like you inspire me so much who see a need, see a problem or see something that they want to change. And then instead of just talking about it, they're like, you know what, I'm like, I maybe I'm the person that's supposed to do something about it. And so you really took that step. And I love that you're like, I left my PhD program. And I was like, let's do this. Let's be a children's. Let's be a children's book publisher. And I did. I know. And it's like, I didn't start with like, yeah, let me write the books. Um, I tried and I, I failed. And I, I always tell people, I'm like, I have a couple of books in me and they'll come out one day. But like, I was like, oh no, I'm just going to be a publisher. <laughs> I love that. Like I went from zero to like really far out there being like, yeah, I'm just going to be a publisher. That's going to be fine. Right. And they're like, yeah, that's going to be fine. So how did you, cause you said you brought on an illustrator 
Where did you even begin for getting somebody on board to help with actually crafting these stories? I mean, because obviously writing a children's book, well, I will say there are some books that I've read my kids where I'm like, somebody got paid to write this? Like, yeah. <laughs> like this one's not Agree. great. Like, like, my husband and I sometimes will, like some of those books that are just really terrible, we will somehow just kind of make them poof, disappear. <laughs> Agree. We also make some books disappear. I mean, my house is flooded with books. Like just they're everywhere. They're like stacked on stairs. They're like propping up things. My husband's always like, you cannot bring more books into the house as I like am sneaking them under my, my coats and stuff. I'm like, yeah, no, no more books. Yeah, it's fine. Have any. it's fine. It's fine. So you, fine. you have these, but you, so you have these books that in these stories that you want to be told and you also want them to be compelling and interesting and, and stories right. that have dignity and you want them to be good. So how did you start? I am very lucky that as part of my sort of circle of mom friends, I had a wonderful person there, Amy Moranville, who got her MFA, got her master's, maybe it's not an MFA, her master's in children's literature. And so like, I remember posting in a mom's group, like, does anyone have a background in children's books here? And she was like, oh yeah, I do. And we had a conversation. I remember it was over crepes. She bought all these books for me to look at and like talk through the basics about it. And I was like, gosh, she's really cool. And she's really smart. And then I tried writing some books and it didn't work. And so I asked her, I was like, would you be interested in writing this book? And she was like, yeah, but I don't know this story. And so that's what changed the way we started to think about publishing is we had two authors who didn't have this background, who didn't know these stories. We had an author and illustrator who didn't know these stories. So they actually sat down. I remember at my house, I like had a platter of cheese and crackers out. Amy came, Tim came, and I had my mom come and tell them the story of Hanuman and the Orange Sun as I remember it, Mm -hmm. as I remember her telling me. I remember Amy and Tim, they like were taking notes. They asked a lot of, like they asked a lot of questions and God bless my mom who is a teacher at her heart and was here for any and every single one of the stupid questions. Do you you know what I mean? Yeah. Like she answered them with such grace and class and never made them feel stupid. And then that is what then translated to Amy creating the stories of Mm. she was coming to it from this point of it needs to be culturally accurate, culturally representative, but then also needs to be entertaining for a child. Yeah. Like it needs to be a good book. And she brought that in. And then later on, she has supported us in a variety of different ways. She's become our a man, like our senior editor, which means like when we have a book, I often will send it to her and she she tightens it up. You know, she bookends it. She she re helps us to rethink yeah. it. Always while making sure that we're thoughtful and purposeful to the cultural needs, to the community needs, to the representation needs. That's how it started. Yeah. You know, I'm, we just made a lot, we also made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I, I think of it less now as mistakes and more about us getting stories out there. I think one of, I am very much a perfectionist and I frankly could see very easily see how this might have taken me like seven years to start up as I thought about it. And I'm so grateful to just put a story out there because that is what the world needs. And I've also realized that in this way, 
so many publishing houses put out that like the big five is how they're sort of referred to as like the penguins, the hot and mifflins. They put out really bad stories <laughs> and they put out really great stories. Yeah. You know, just because they put it out doesn't make it a great story. Yeah. And I realized that for me, I could just put a story out there and that was okay. Does it resonate with every single member of the community? Maybe not. Does it have to? No, I think it's really important for children to be able to see themselves and children to see others doing, having these great moments of joy. And that's what a lot of our books do. That's really, uh, that's really profound. And I love that perspective on getting these stories out there and the importance of that. And sometimes it's going to be perfect or as near to perfect as it can be. And sometimes it's not, and that's okay but the mission and the heart of it is all the same. What are some of the things you've learned after now publishing 20 books that you maybe didn't expect when you published that first one? I think a big piece I learned is how these books are healing, not for children, but for parents. Mm. I think for so many parents, these books are things that they were just dying for in their youth and didn't have, didn't see, couldn't even imagine. There wasn't Mm, even space to imagine having them. And so I have back in the time when we could have like festivals, in-person events, I used to regularly, you know, me and my my co-founders would joke like how many people are going to cry in our booth today? Yeah. It was never children. It was adults with like full-fledged tears. Mm of just like, oh, like seeing themselves in such a real way that has never existed. And that has been incredibly powerful. And I never would have thought that was going to be a thing when we put published our first book. Next is just how immense the diversity gap is, but also the accessibility gap. Like from day two of our existence, I had teachers writing to me being like, I would love to have copies of your book in my classroom. We have zero funding. I pay for tissues out of my own pocket. How can I get your book? And I would be like, oh, take it, take it. Like, I I want you to have it go take it. And Mm. then I wouldn't charge them because like, I, I truly didn't have the heart to because I know how important these are in their classrooms, but that's a bad business model in case anyone out there is wondering. And so that's why last year we launched our 1001 Diverse Books campaign. And so what that is, is my mission with each one of our books is that we donate a thousand copies of them to our greater community, to whoever feels like they need it. Yeah. And the way our community can help support us in that is by sponsoring a copy of the book for $10. And that's really easy. You know, that's like a coffee and a croissant. You know, and it really, really now helps us to get these books into the communities where these stories are needed, Mm -hmm. where having a new book is not part of the family's ability. Yeah. And I, I so, so love that we are able to do that and that our community consistently rises and sponsors a copy of the book every single time, whenever they can. It's been really wonderful. That's a really cool initiative. And Yeah, having I mean, I was not an elementary school teacher, but I empathize with teachers all the time. My daughter's in elementary school and teachers are just dying to have these books and and different different types of books in their classroom and 
more often than not, they don't have the finances for it. And so that's a really, I love that initiative to be able to get these stories in those classrooms. You know, I was, as you were talking and sharing those stories about how impactful the the books have been for adults, I'm curious, have you gotten feedback from people kind of outside of the South Asian community and how the stories have impacted them. Because I think about my own experience growing up. One of the things that I really appreciate about my mom, um, my mom passed away when I was in high school. And, you know, I, it wasn't until I was an adult that I really saw the fruits of her labor in that when my, because I mean, growing up in the 80s, that we weren't talking about diversity and inclusion in books, but I have, you know, boxes of books from that my mom read to me as a kid. And there are, I would say 75% of them feature a kid that don't look like me. Mm -hmm. And it's, all different types of stories of, you know, Native American traditions and um, South Asian traditions and African traditions and just and just stories of kids who don't look like me. And I think about the intentionality that went into that in the 80s and 90s. And I know that was not an accident. And I Mm -hmm. and I love now having those books that then I can read to my kids and be like, my mom read this book to me. And, um, and there's, there's obviously, I also had a lot of books that starred a kid named Molly, (laughs) for obvious reasons. (laughs) But there's one book called Molly, the brave and me. And in the story, the main character Molly is actually black. And her best friend has red is white with red hair. And my son is white with red hair. And he's like the whole time, like every time we read it, he's so confused. He's like, wait, why is the Molly character black? And I'm like, because some people are named Molly who are black. Like yeah, there are black people named Molly. Right. Like that. There you go. But it's not. But he's just he loves seeing that. And it opens up these really fun conversations about different, you know, different names and different, you know, hair colors and skin colors. And it just that. it's really beautiful. And I again, I I really appreciate the fruits of my mom's labor that I never got the chance to thank her for. And so I'm curious, like in your own work and and seeing these stories benefit people even outside of the South Asian community, I'd love to kind of hear what feedback and stories you've heard from that. Yeah, I think the other piece very quickly on, I realized is that these stories are loved by all children, all parents, all families. Yeah. Um, they resonate because they're good books. Yeah. You know, that's it. And it doesn't matter that one is about Ganesh. It doesn't matter that one is about a little girl named Anjali or another girl named Sepia. They just resonate because they're great stories. And they're also really empowering mm-hmm. stories and feature characters who are strong. And I, I love that. And so I think. That was another piece. Like I definitely early on was like, oh yeah, my market is the South Asian parent, like people like me. Yeah. I really just thought like it would be people like me and then a handful of my best boy best friends <laughs> buying my books. And I was really wrong. And that's great because it's a much better business model. <laughs> yeah. My books are just resonating yeah. with everyone. Yeah. It's such a wonderful feeling. And I, I think they allow for space and place 
for children to ask questions that they might not normally feel com- like comfortable asking. Like the question, like, why is Molly black? That's a beautiful question. Yeah. That's like a great question for a kid to ask, especially like knowing their mom is named Molly. Like that's such a beautiful opportunity for conversation. Like oh, there, there are black people named Molly. Yeah. And it can end there. Like it's, and it really is as simple as that. Yeah. Like, there Molly. There are white people named Molly. There are black people named Molly. Yep. Continue. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and, and let's continue. Yeah. Um, and if we don't have more books that have that inclusion. Yeah then we aren't able to have those questions. And then all of a sudden, just think about that impact in our kids' psyche and how that then translates unconsciously in later spaces, Mm -hmm. you know? And so to have that is so valuable and to allow them space to have those questions is so powerful as well. It really is. And it's such a like, I feel like cliche parent thing to say now that I'm, you know, a mom in my 30s. But I really fully understand that the, the whole cliche or idea of like, our hope is in the next generation. And yeah, I, I really mean that so sincerely when I see my kids and their friends and how they treat each other and the world that they're growing up in and even how different it is from the world we grew up in in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it's a very different world in a lot of really beautiful ways. Um, obviously, there's challenges, but there have always been challenges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I was actually having a conversation with a um with somebody yesterday uh, on a, on the podcast, and we were talking about how like there's a generation of people who are still alive who lived through World War II, the Great Depression, like the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the assassination of JFK, MLK. I'm like, we're doing all right, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, like we we're okay. We <laughs> we don't have food ration cards, like. I think we're going to be all right. Like life's hard right now, but like, I, I think we're going to survive. But uh, all that to say, <laughs> like, true. let's, let's just put it in perspective. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, all, all that to say is I think that, you know, a lot has changed in 30, 40 years. And I look at our kids and, and the resources that they're growing up with and the, the way that they are seeing all different cultures represented more in media, whether it's in books or on TV and movies, that really does have a, an impact. And like you were saying, it it, oh, it also affects that unconscious bias going forward. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So here you are. You've been what you what year did you launch? Mango so we America. started in 2015. 2015. That's right. I was going to, for some reason I had 14 in my head and I was like, that's not right. Um, it, like I, I, I always vacillate between the two because like the idea came in 2015, but we didn't announce ourselves until two, the idea came in 2014, yeah. but we didn't announce anything until 2015. So in my mind, it's been longer, but really it's 2015. Yeah. And so then you have 20 books out. Do you have a book in particular that is just really near and dear to your heart? Is just a standout favorite or do they all kind of have a special meaning? They all each have special meanings. It's like asking me which one of my children is my favorite. (laughs) And like sort of depends on the minute, maybe even the second. Mm -hmm. Um, I think like each one of the books has like a very deep, place in my heart like I because we're a small business because I'm an entrepreneur and I do pretty much everything I 
know each one of these stories from their start, yeah. you know, from when they've been submitted to me. And so each one has a very special place. Yeah. I think books like the Anjali series that we have are really speak to me because a lot of the experiences that the young character Anjali goes through in her book are experiences that I had. Mm. And I like deeply wish I had those books or my mom had access to those books. So like I could, so we could explain yeah. this in a way to me and I could feel empowered as opposed to feeling belittled. Mm. I think books like Super Sepia Saves the Day are really phenomenal because they're just brown kids being awesome. Yeah. And that's so hard to find right now. I think frequently in stories that have children of color, frequently those stories are what they call teaching tales or lessons learned tales. And I love stories that just celebrate black and brown joy. Like those just need to take up all the space on the bookshelf yes. so that we can see that like black and brown people are expansive and not just, you know, full of sorrow and despair as sometimes it can feel when you see those books. Yeah. And then some of our newer books like Rhea um, and the Blood of Nectar, which is our first middle grade book, like 12 year old Silaja would have killed for this book. Oh, I love like, it. Like featuring like a brown girl in a lead role in a fantasy world, like just every single thing about that book is something that is so near and dear to me. Our book, Untold Stories, which is coming out in March of next year, which is a collaboration with Brown Girl Magazine. It features the stories of 32 authors sharing their stories around experience, around body, belonging, religion, mm. their stories of like coming out to family, stories of understanding their identities, stories of loss. Mm. And it's not for like 16 plus, but those stories are so powerful. They resonate so, so deeply with women and men across the world. Yeah. And then also all of those authors are first time authors. And so to like be able to give them space, is just like, oh, it feels so humbling and yeah. exciting. And it's I think that's what I live for. But like, frankly, every single one of my books is one of my favorites because I get to be selective because it's like yeah. my money, it's my publishing house. So if I don't like a book, probably doesn't get published. <laughs> Not with me, at least. Not with me. So how can, if people are listening and they they want to get their hands on these books, what are the best way that they can do that? Yeah. So buying directly from us at our website, mangoandmarigoldpress.com is the best way to support us. It means that most of the money is going to come back to us, going to come back to our authors, and that allows us to reinvest and produce more books. You can also reach out to your favorite indie bookstore and tell them that you love us and ask them to have our titles on in their store. That's another wonderful way. We're also available at bookshop.org, IndieBound. And then last, if you really need to, go ahead to go to Amazon. We're available there, um, but we do not make a ton of money when you buy from them. Yeah. I'm always very transparent about that. Yeah, like Amazon's your last resort. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Please. One of the things that I started doing, um, and I'm glad that you mentioned things like IndieBound and supporting indie bookstores as well, is during the pandemic, like I said, I'm an avid reader and I used to very just willy nilly order my books on Amazon. And I started being really thoughtful about, okay, if there's a book that I want, can I wait a couple extra days 
to get it from a local bookstore. And so I found out I had never even heard of um, IndieBound. And then yeah. there's another one. Maybe it is Bookshop, but there's you it's can probably bookshop.org because you can connect with it'll you basically put in your city and then it it connects you with your local indie yeah. bookstore. And then you can pre-order books directly through your local indie bookstore. You can order books online through your local indie bookstore. Then they call you when it's ready and you go pick it up. And my local indie bookstore that I discovered has like a curbside pickup option. And I have loved it. And it's so funny because David, shout out to David at uh, at my local bookstore. Um, yes. uh, you know, he is so great because he emails me and he's like, hey, Molly, your books are in like, come on by. And so now I'm at the point where I can just basically pull up and he can see my 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 minivan out the window and he just comes out with my books and brings them to my car whenever I order a, a new book. I mean, I it, love that. Yeah, I, I'm making it sound like I'm ordering new books like every week. It's not that often, but it is often enough that David like now knows my minivan. <laughs> My my bookstore knows me, knows my kids. <laughs> like, I, it's fine. I love to like, read. They're it's like, fine. hey, Silaja. How's it going? You know, like, I, I go in once a quarter and like I buy an obscene amount of books. <laughs> Um, I think part of, partly it's because I pre-order because I have a lot of friends who are authors. And so I know the importance of pre-ordering. So I always yeah. pre-order my friend's books and I do it through the bookstore. So I guess part of it is like every time a friend's book comes out, which I feel like is actually pretty often, uh, is then I go to the store to go pick it up. But all that to say is, yes, directly buy directly from you. And then if you can support your local indie bookstore, because bookstores exactly. are awesome. Okay. Silaja, now is the point of the show where we transition just a little bit to ask some fun, get to know you questions. I love it. I'm All so right. excited. For Are that. you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Question number one is what song do you have to sing along with every time you hear it? Destiny's Child Bootylicious. <laughs> you ask the question. You I love it. Silaja, you are my you are my people. <laughs> I love it. That I is know fantastic. All the lyrics and I sing it even if I it's on one of my running playlists and I sing it while running. Yeah, you should. I so the Destiny's Child album that came out with no scrubs and what was oh my gosh, why am I completely forgetting the name of that other big hit that they had around the time of no scrubs? What was um, it? Not Bootylicious. No. Not, um, not Independent Women because like oh, No Scrubs is, really is like late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, this is really embarrassing. Say My Name? Yes. Say My Name. Say My Name. So this was like what? Late? Yeah, it was late 90s. It wasn't 2000s yet because that was when Beyonce started going on her own early yeah, 2000s. Yeah, that's when, and that's also when Destiny's Child moved from four to three. Yeah, it was, it was a whole Controversy. thing. Controversy. <laughs> but I remember I had a couple of friends in sixth grade and we totally, so, it, well, it must, maybe it was seventh grade because it would have been like really when like Destiny's Child first came out. So this would have been like mid-ish 90s. And yeah. we had choreographed this whole dance to say my name and like we were just we were convinced we were going to go on the apollo <laughs> you're like we're we this is going to happen it. we're going on the apollo it's going to happen it obviously did not uh but that is a true story <laughs> i love 
love it. I love your tenacity. I you love know, the audacity. I love it. We were I like, think it's beautiful it's to happen. be like, yeah, we were going to do it. We were going to do it. We were going to be awesome. Um, anyway, okay. Question number two. If you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Like, I want to say something healthy, but I think in my heart, it's pizza. Oh, I like it. Do you have a, do you have like a particular brand style topping combo thing? Um, pepperoni, okay. pepperoni pizza from this like Italian pizza place called like Saracerpoli or Saracerpoli. I always mispronounce it. It sounds authentic. It sounds authentic. It's (laughs) delicious. There are a couple other places here that do solid pepperoni pizza. Not too thick of a crust, just thinner crust. I also like making it at home, Mm. frankly. Yes. Yes. Like a good family pizza night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm here for that. I think it would be pizza because like you can make it healthy. You can make it not healthy. It can have all the veggies on it. It can have all the veggies on it. Like I think it's, I think it's pizza. You can do it. You can do with it whatever you want. We recently discovered a pizza place near our house called Pop's Backdoor. Shout out to Pop's Backdoor Pizza. (laughs) Uh, in Durham, North Carolina. And I'm really sad that we did not discover it until this summer because it's been around apparently a while, but they have the best buffalo chicken pizza. It is so good. It has like this creamy ranch base. Then it has like this mozzarella mixture with grilled chicken and it's like fire ovened pizza. And then they drizzle this buffalo sauce all over it. And then they put bacon, but and onions, but I don't like onions, so I get no onions. But it is so good. I love it so much. I want more. Big fan. Like, that sounds delicious. I love buffalo chicken. So Big fan. Her. Big fan. Okay. <laughs> Question number three. I think it's number three. I don't know. I it's it's fine. Okay. Do you have a favorite TV show that you loved to watch growing up? That I loved to watch growing up. I think I was like your your standard 80s, 90s kid, like TGIF. TGIF. Yeah, like TGIF, I watched a lot of Cosby show growing up. What else did I watch? Oh, I was a massive PBS kid. Yes. I loved PBS. So Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. One, Math Nets, like reading Rainbow, obviously. obviously. Like, I loved reading Rainbow. My obviously. dream is to meet LeVar Burton and somehow like yes. find a way for him to help underwrite my company. Like I just, I, I love it. Um I was a big, big geek. Oh, Bill Nye, the science guy. Yes. Kind of obsessed with him. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? I had the game. I auditioned for the show and got pretty far. Ooh, that's a fun, fun fact. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I was all about the PBS kids as a kid. And Yeah. yeah, you said ghostwriter. So I did... Please tell me that you also did this because I was a big Ghost Rider fan. Would you carry around a composition book and like pretend that Ghost Rider was writing to you? Yeah, I I presumed everyone did. Obviously, (laughs) obviously. I like Ghost Rider. Oh, Wishbone. Wishbone. What's the story? Wishbone. Oh, man. Oh, my God. Yes, that's the time. Oh, yeah. I loved that, too. I never (laughs) quite understood why we were so into this dog. But like, I loved it. Like, I I kind of wish I could have been in the room when they pitched that idea. Because I was like, I'm like, does it make sense for it to be this like little dog who's now Cerno de Bergerac? Like, no. (laughs) Doesn't, but okay. Right. Oh my gosh. Um, 
gosh, I love I love reminiscing and being nostalgic over that stuff because <laughs> it really was ridiculous at times. Okay. Um, you mentioned that you are an average reader. Obviously, this is airing in 2021. But did you have a favorite book that you read in 2020 or any favorite book that you have read recently that you would recommend? Um, so I read a lot and I, I read a lot of children's books, too. I think I am looking. The reason I'm looking around now is because like my books are everywhere. Genuinely, I have loved all the books my my publishers have like we've put out um yeah. especially untold stories i just got like our first copy of it like the physical copy and i've been reading a story every night and it's been um it's just been really wonderful i think in terms of my favorite book this year is probably it's actually probably this one i bet you it's right here this has been one of my favorites recipes for a persuasion so i'm a big like jane austen nerd um, I love Jane Austen growing up and this is Sonali Dave's book and it's a follow-up to her book. Um, I think it was called Pride, Prejudice and Other Flavors. Mm. And she sort of takes the world of Jane Austen and Jane Austen lore and twists it and puts like an Indian spin. I love it. that. It's really good. I love those. I love anything by Jasmine Gilroy. I read a lot, like I go back and forth from reading like sort of what's considered high like you know literature to yeah. reading like romance i think all books are good books and all books um are reading so yeah yeah i also been reading a lot of graphic novels oh my daughter is really into graphic novels and i i really like that me- that approach and that yeah. medium of reading yeah that's so, awesome. Been reading those. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I'm going to have to check that one out. I just got cuz I also subscribe to Book of the Month, which is like a Oh my god. Yeah, it was, it's so fun. <laughs> it's like a present. I, my my husband would be like, "Are you are you kidding?" Christmas morning every every month when I get my my box of that month's book, but I just got I haven't started reading it yet, so if it's terrible, it's not my fault. Um it's probably great. But it's called The Wife Upstairs, but it's like a thriller um, Southern murder mystery, but it's apparently like a twist on Jane Eyre. Ooh, fun. Apparently. So uh, it's oh, The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. I don't know. I just got it. But I, it's kind of a little bit out of my normal genre. I'm not normally a thriller reader. Um, Same. But I... It just, it was like, I was like, ooh, a Southern twist on Jane Eyre. Like, let's do it. Why not? I don't know. Why not? It'll be fun. It's it's a book. It's not brain surgery. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. I'm not donating a kidney. I'm just reading a book. It's fine. Um, Okay. (laughs) My last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, um, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? It is about, I think for me, it's about showing my children that when they don't see something, that they can make it happen. Mm. You know, I really love that I'm able to do that. And to me, it's also about empowering others. Like so much of what I do is about enabling and creating space for other, frequently uh, other women to take up space to have their stories told, to become visible in a very real way. Yeah. And I love that. Mm. Sila Joe, this has been such a just treat. 
to have you. You are so much fun. And I can't wait to get some books that I can read to my kids. Yeah, yes, please do. You are just a, a joy. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Molly. I really appreciate it. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Another thank you to our partner of the show, Mama Suds. Don't forget to use that code Molly for 15% off and shop at mamasuds.com. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are quite literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.